Being a Red Quarterly Slush Pile. I'm Kathleen Volkmiller, and I'm glad that you're joining us today. We're going to uh, read three different poems by two different authors. Um, but let me just tell you what the slush pile is about is we read submissions on air after getting author's permission, and we discuss it. And you are part of the editorial table in that way. Um, so uh, listen in, join in. The poems themselves will be on our website, pbqmag.org. And um, uh, please let us know how you think we're doing. So again, I'm Kathy Volkmiller. I'm co-editor of the Painter Bright Quarterly, um, an essayist, and uh, run the graduate program in publishing here. Um, in the faux studio with me today are Tim Fitz. My name is Tim Fitz, and I teach here at Drexel and at the Curtis Institute of Music in the Liberal Arts Department. And I'm the author of Hypothermia and the Soju Club. And sitting next to me is Cherie. Hi, I'm Cherie DeVos, and I am the editorial assistant in digital communications co-op here um, at CPG. And uh, nothing else comes to mind right now. <laughs> okay, and our sound engineer today is Joe Zhang. And joining us from and a museum in Abu Dhabi. So guess, there we go. There's our first. She's in the lobby of a museum. Marion, what are you doing? Hi, it's Marion. I'm at Manarat al Sadiat Museum, and I can't wait to talk about these poems. Woohoo! And Jason, where are you? You're at the office, aren't you? I am at the office. I am back in Tribeca at the lovely borough of Manhattan Community College, where I am an associate professor teaching language, literature, and creative writing. And so well, and you do all of it so well. Um, all right, I think we should jump right in. We have one poem from Pam Matz. And um, again, you can check it out on our pages and read along with us if you'd like. Who would like to read this? <laughs> Jason, you wanna read it? Yeah. I'll, I'll, all right. <laughs> I snow 4 p.m. 1920 to 2007. Until the end, it was sudden. You were dying a long time. And because I'd been casting my mind toward yours for years, I was afraid I would go with you, slide over the cliff being tied to you. I haven't yet arranged for the plaque next to the pathway under the birches. I think you would say you will when you're ready, trying to avoid any sting of worry or impatience. Since you died, I forgive others, keep the anger bent. Whenever I came to the nursing home at noon, I saw the man who proposed marriage to his friend after her diagnosis. He rubbing ointment on her lips, feeding her lunch, her face straining open mouthed, his pants ragged at the cuff. He'd be telling her the story that always began, you were a little girl in East Texas. You know, what's the Yiddish word for someone like him? I could tell you about the rough wall you built, the stones you gathered one by one, stopping at roadsides for a shape, a color, basket of gold, and mobilia trailing from crevices. Years ago, I couldn't tell you whether you and your last man, a kind man, ever slept in the same bed. Snow falling again in its own time. Snow falling from the branches that had helped. Okay. 
poignant is the first word that comes to mind. And I always, I was also thinking about how frequently I read poems. I think we might have even on the podcast that are about somebody in the hospital. And I think we did one at the very last meeting, um, Tim, where we talked about tubes and urine bags and white walls. And so much of it was, we wanted more urine bag, actually. Yeah, um, juice is getting sucked up. Yeah, <laughs> because it was, this was a poem, uh, not this poem, uh, a poem about uh, being in a hospital. And it was not unique or specific enough. And this one truly is. That hospital stanza is very, um, we can, moving an individual to this, these two. Right. I'm, I'm not sure I followed all of the hospital stuff and the, the man with the woman and the like when it says, I couldn't tell you whether you and your last man ever slept in the same bed. I actually think that um, that middle stanza is not about people she knows. Mm-hmm. I think that's a separate that's separate from the you. You don't think the you is the the grandparent or the elder who died? I, I do think that you is the person that died. But whenever I came to the nursing home, that middle stanza, whenever I came to the nursing home at noon, I saw the man who proposed marriage to his friend. Those are strangers that she sees because she goes there all the time. Right. No, I, under, I understand yeah. there those are strangers and she's okay. a weird courtship take place because nursing homes are like, oddly public you have no privacy right the the part where it says i couldn't tell you whether you and your last man a kind met ever slept in the same bed like wouldn't the you know that in like wouldn't it be like i couldn't tell whether you and your last man ever slept in the same bed i I don't get i couldn't tell you um only maybe she's losing i don't just made the you is she but whoever the you is um can't remember and says, did I, did we ever sleep together or was he just my lover? You're not there, love. <laughs> we paused and you didn't even know it. But now I'm going to tell you that um, playing the part of Marion Wren for the rest of today's episode is our sound engineer, Joe Zhang. Marion will now be... Um, texting us her thoughts and Joe will read them to us. Okay, look you fuckers, I love you. Did she say that for real? She did. Yeah, that's actually what Marion said. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead. What did she say? We're still trying to explicate who who is the you and who is the I and Marion's giving us her two cents. Marion, what is it that you say? It's a mother and a daughter. <laughs> and I can't tell you if you slept together. Quote. I'm confused. By- <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused by this whole thing. It's a, it's a mother and a daughter. I couldn't tell you whether you and your last man, a kind man, ever slept in the same bed. Can we cut why it? Why would you be telling? It's like... It's like if I said, Kathy, I couldn't tell you if you ever, like, skipped class. 
Like, that doesn't make any sense because you're the one who knows if you skipped class, like, not me. Well, she's in a nursing home. Yeah, Memory she, is failing. She says, she says literally that. That's exactly what I'm projecting onto this. Did, did Robert ever sleep over or was he just my lover? Okay, I, I get it. So, I, actually, it's about, it's about dementia. Well, that part of it is, yeah, she's asking... She's asking this, the, the, uh, the poet, she's asking the voice, the I, did my lover ever sleep over? I don't mean to be mean <laughs> when I say this, but is the poem about dementia or does the poem make you feel like you have dementia? <laughs> no. <laughs> that part should be cut out. No. I was also trying to figure out if it was like a sort of like a Yiddish inflection, like a kind of phrasing, you know, like um, just putting the verb at the end, the kind of like, well, you know how like Yiddish has a Yoda-like structure, like German? <laughs> so you do know that Yoda is just speaking Yiddish, right? <laughs> oh, Jason Schneiderman. <laughs> all of the last name. It's all of Schneiderman. I actually went to an event somewhere where, where I, I forget where it was, but someone said, Schneiderman, you can never pretend you're not a Jew. <laughs> I like repeating your name a lot. I like going Schneiderman, Schneiderman, Schneiderman. It's fun. I, it is fun. It's such a, your, your mouth gets to do so many things. Um, but but no, back I, to the poem. Yeah, back to the poem. <laughs> I am curious if, if um, Marion could, could still maybe type this out. Of the mother-daughter, that's interesting. And I am putting a female on the eye. I don't know why. And the female, the eye is not the lover of the you. Um, if I can paraphrase, that was Joe speaking, and that was Marion. Um, she says the daughter is the speaker and quote, Jude, I don't know, couldn't tell you, like totally casual way of saying, mom, did you sleep with your new husband in the same bed? Oh, see, I've made him a lover. I've made him a lover that leaves. He comes and he goes. I mean, because this is your last man. What yeah. Is that, what is that about? You and your last Your last man. man. Right. Yeah, I don't know if he has to be a husband. A kind man. A kind man. What does Jason say? What, Jason? It's gesturing to a history of having had many lovers. Yeah. And so if Marion's right that it's a it's a daughter and a mother, then, you know, there's yeah. a kind of um, odd relationship to, you know, your parents' partners as they kind of, like, you know, enter your life and are sort of there or not. Right. Right. I like that read. I'll go with that one. I love the final. I, I actually really like the final images. Um, mm -hmm. The snow falling again in its own time. Snow falling from the branches that held it. I thought that was really nicely done. I Yeah, I do like those last two lines. And I like that that was the title as snow. And, um, you know, it's so overtly uh, an homage to to the U, you know, 4 p.m. nineteen twenty. 2007, so this 87-year-old person who lived this life, it's, it's kind of lovely. Um, I like, and I'm moved by the idea in the first graph, I was afraid I would go with you, slide over the cliff being tied to you. 
Mm-hmm. That's sweet. And that makes a lot of sense with um, Marion's read of, of a mother and daughter that you do have that sense when a parent dies that like mm-hmm. there might not be a reason to live anymore. Right. Which is, which is so weird. Like you don't think it's going to feel that way. And then I mean, because I'm sure it doesn't feel that way all the time, but. Yeah. But, and I just love the, the image of literally being tied. Like if you fall over the cliff, I go because I'm that tied to you, you know. And you also, you also are very aware of your own mortality. Right. That you're like next on the conveyor belt of death. Oh. Three, what did you think? Or do you want to direct us to something else in the poem? Um, well, as for that same stanza there, I was looking at it that um, stuck out to me because um, even looking at it like before a person dies, I think that it's easy to kind of lose yourself if you're so invested in like their last date because you're thinking yeah. about them. You kind of lose your life your, in, in, yeah. sense, in your vitality. Um, so I was looking at that even from like a pre-death kind of situation. Yeah. Um, Marion says, yes, I totally agree with Sharif. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to interject it because Mary would if, she, if this was fluid. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, picturing that snow off the branches again, like Jason just mentioned, like when you actually are just looking, watching snow like that, it just gets heavy enough and then it just falls. Mm-hmm. Right. It's exactly what she says in the beginning until the end, which was sudden, you were dying a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The snow builds up and it builds up and then you don't expect it and it falls. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's so it's like the cliff and the death. All three are well woven. Oh, my God, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Your delivery is so great. You sound just like her. I know. <laughs> that was Joe. <laughs> being a surrogate. <laughs> Are you ready to vote? Sure. We, let's vote to I'm vote. Tim's ready. Uh, I'm, I'm there if everybody else is there. Okay. I, you, I if do, I, I jump I, off this cliff, you'll jump off this yeah. cliff? Here we go. Thumb and Louise. Are we ready? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I so wish Marion could talk right now because those are our code names for each other. <laughs> Nobody on the else else in the whole world uses Thelma and Louise like that, but we do. Okay, you ready? <laughs> One, two, three, vote. J- Jason, did you vote, honey? Yeah. Okay, it's unanimous. I didn't know that was going to happen. I love when I'm surprised. Yay, unanimous. Yes, thank you, Pam Matz. Glad to have you. Thank you for the wonderful poem. And now we're moving on. Now we have two poems by Michael Levin. Um, I really should have looked this up. The first one is Solo Madrol. Is that a place? Do we know what that is? I think it's a medical term. A medical term? Wow. My guess would be that it would be a term. Joe, you got it for us? Uh, Joe slash Marion. Joe and Marion are looking it up. It's uh, a drug that you use to treat, associ- uh, to treat conditions with adrenal problems. 
Oh, okay. Inflammation. Severe allergies. Flares of All right. So it's S-O-L-U hyphen M-E-D-R-O-L. Again, you can see these poems on our um, website. This one is structured very differently in that um, it is flush left and flush right, like a big fat graph. But then there are, um, oh my God, what's the word for those? What's the word? Slash. Oh, forward. Uh, slash. Forward slash. Forward slash. I couldn't think of the word slash. There are forward slashes to potentially indicate line breaks, but it's but it's wrapped, uh, flush left and flush right margins. So, and then there is also a stanza break, with the second stanza starting all the way flush right. So I'm not sure about all that. I guess we'll investigate as we read. Um, Who's interested in reading? I'll read. Okay. Okay. Um, Don't say the slashes, though. Okay. Okay. So literal. The man can only find words to help his wife. He is unaccomplished in so many ways that are useful to the world. And sometimes he can't even do that. But here, maybe, are these words that can't stand, that stand for his hopes for her, for them, for the boy, and the boy's sibling who may still, who may come still. Here are these flowers that stand for the medicine meant to renew her appetite, to keep her from sicknesses with it. He can't stand it, but of course he does. Everything must have meaning. Each thing must stand for something, if only he take the time to see it all answered. He says to the delivery man, thank you for this beautiful, for the beautiful vows you bought her. She'll take a few dozen more, however many gets to see her. However many gets her to see the end of all this, which is the only time to make it mean. He is willing to go down on his knees before who might have insights and answers, who might take what's burning the man inside and quench it. This is the man, this is the woman he loves. This is the way he knows to love her. That was really difficult for me to read. For some <laughs> well, it is odd in the rap text and everything. This is, yeah. So the last line is, this is the woman he loves. This is the way he knows to love her. This is um, a drug for multiple sclerosis. Oh, okay. I love that ending. That's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. This is the woman he loves. This is the way he knows to love her. Because she's dying, right? I mean, this is this is moving. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, thank you for the beautiful vials you've brought her. I like that line. Yeah. It, she t- she'll take however many more it'll take to see the end of all this. <clears throat> Dying, but they are trying for a baby, the one who still may come, the one who may still come. Uh, uh. Yeah, that's what I get from this too. Oh, wow. Right. Skipped right over that in the beginning. The, for them, for the boy and the boy's sibling who may come still. Right? I mean, she may oh, be yeah, already so pregnant. pregnant already. Right. But, you know, with her illness, there's a chance that not Oh, that's extra credit, Michael Levin. <laughs> <laughs> 
why did he choose to structure it this way? What does that do for the poem or undo? Um, yeah, I don't know. Can Joe, uh, can I interject? <laughs> um, line breaks, I mean, it signifies a line break, but I guess the continuity doesn't want to be interrupted. I don't know, maybe uh, resisting mortality. I can see someone trying to get that effect, but for me, it interrupts it much more to have that slash there. Yeah. And then I think it runs interference with the intonation of the sentence. So if you look at that last line, if there were no Virgul there, it would be, this is the way he knows to love her. But because the Virgul is in there, this is the way he knows to love her. It creates a form of emphasis on both sides in the same way that the line break would. Um, I don't fully, I mean, this has sort of become like a, a popular thing. A lot of people use the transcription for a line break in the poem now. Like for a long time, this was just the way that you transcribe line breaks if you were sure. poems. Right. Um, but I, I think it works well here. So it sort of, it, it kind of gives you, um, it's sort of splitting the difference between a prose poem and free verse. Uh -huh. It sort of like gives you the lion break of the free verse, but it still kind of has the blockiness and the um, the forward motion of a prose poem. Right, right. I always see prose poems as like as rushing, mm -hmm. and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's like it's giving you everything so fast, and and right. This is kind of walking some space in between. The more we talk about it, the more it bothers me. The slash um, causes more. agitation, and it causes you to slow down. Marriott says. I would read it. I, I don't think it would change. You, you know, if you, if you took them away, then it would just be a prose poem or whatever you call it, but it would still sound the same. It would sound the same without the Virgul's or it would sound the yeah, same? Yeah, I think so. I disagree. Uh, I, I, think that, I think that those, um, I think there's a difference between this is the way he knows to love her and this is the way he knows to love her. This might be a different way. This might be a difference in the way poets and fiction writers read. You yeah. Know, I could see you reading it. For me, I read a lot slower. And so I kind of add in a little extra tone. But what, what if it had the actual line breaks and was a long, skinny poem? The lines are pretty short. If we look at each one of those as line breaks, would it be... How would the impact change? I'm doing it right now on my computer and like actually adding in the line breaks to look at it. Mm -hmm. I like it better as a prose block. It actually gets a little sentimental. Uh, That's exactly what I was thinking without doing it. I think it might be heavy handed a bit in a traditional form. If, those line, if it was long and skinny. It, it, it breaks up the syntax too harshly. Her mm -hmm. goal actually is a little lighter than a line break. Mm -hmm. and, and when you break it up into lines, it's, it's a little, it's, it's parsed. It's too heavily parsed. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you educating us all here? What the hell word are you saying? And is that <laughs> what I'm calling a forward slash? You're calling a Virgul? Yeah, the I-R-G, I believe H-U-L-E. I'll, I'll look it up. Um, yeah. It sounds like a pasta shape. <laughs> I'll have 
the scalps with virgul. There's no, there's no V-A-R-G-U-L-E, the word virgul. Does it not sound like a pasta shape? Garlic breadcrumbs and scallops. It's like calling a full stop a period or. Okay, so here's another question. Now that I'm hungry. Is can if we can flash forward just a little bit and peek over to the next page to see if the next poem has these for rules and we see that if they do i'm not sure how how much i'm into more than one poem with these i they kind of bother me a little bit here but i think if i just have to deal with it with one poem i can chalk that up to be in my issue but if i got to deal with this for another poem i'm thinking where does this end <laughs> right now we're looking at two poems and each poem is its own independent thing obvi right <laughs> so we're going to look at solo madrol right. and and have a vote at it and then we're going to look at words place. right and <laughs> and then we can make other decisions like about them in the book yeah. right right i'm also going to say the, the cat is out of the bag that using the virgul in a poem um people often use virguls now in poems that are lineated um, I want to say Alice Notley was the one who pioneered it, um, uh-huh. but this this is this is a a very common technique at this point. I I mean we cannot like the use of it, but I would say that at this point, um, it would be like I don't know. I mean I guess I still get upset about people who can't use p- capital letters, um, even though that's you know there's a good hundred years of not capitalizing anything in your poem. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would almost say like it's akin to being upset about people who don't use punctuation. It's it's just th- this is an established technique. You cannot like right. the way the technique is being deployed, but it's not that this poet is like trying to pioneer something that isn't working. This is this is like a very common way to write. Right. I don't think Tim was picking on Michael Levin. I think he's he's not digging the style. Right, Tim. Yeah, I I for for me. I like it without them. Just, I like the flow of the language. I think the flow of the language is really nice. I, I mean, there's a lot of beautiful stuff just in the sound of the poem and the images and then having been trying to carry her, the baby to term with this disease. There's a lot of stuff that's really, uh, a lot of forces at work here. Yeah. And those kind of uh, bother me a bit. Yeah. They distract me from everything else that's going on. And I think it would be, you know, maybe not for, I mean, I, I do think poets and fiction writers read differently. They certainly write differently. Um, so it makes sense that you would like it and I would not like it. Um, Marion Virgul Joe, what did she say about being annoyed? <laughs> Can you imagine if we said that? Instead of Marion Slash Joe. <laughs> Mary and Virgil Joe, what did you say about it being annoying earlier? Oh, right. Right. Reading <laughs> <laughs> the transcript is difficult. Uh, the slash causes agitation and causes you to slow it down. Agitation and causes you to slow it down. So. I think a fiction response to this is when it's only this long, you're going to slow down. Um, the point would be how the form fits the idea of the poem's ideas. Right. The rush and the crisis and slow time are all linked. Uh-huh. 
Right. So we've connected those dots and now we come to, you know, uh, Jason telling us that Levin has not created this, right? So would this poem, I guess that's why I asked that same question, would this, what power would it have if it didn't have that device? Is the device part of what's making this work? Well, look at, look at this line. Here are the flowers that stand for the medicine meant to renew her appetite, to keep her from sicknesses with her. He can't stand it, but of course he does. Right. So if you read it without those, here are the flowers that stand for the medicine meant to renew her appetite, to keep her from sicknesses with her. He can't stand it, but of course he does. Um, I guess I guess actually uh, saying it out loud, I sort of end up on Tim's side. I actually think I might like it better without the parsing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know I'm I'm still sort of I. I'm on board with this. I think it's it's well written, and I think it it's really smooth. I and the flow is strong enough that the slashes, uh, for me, kind of spice it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But but that's I think that's that's because the sentences are well structured and clear. Okay. All right. Well, I think we should vote because we have another one by this guy. I have to say one quick thing. Yeah, of course. Something that really bothers me is the line to keep her from sicknesses with her because everything else seems effortless. This seems like he's trying really way too hard. He jumped out at me and was like, yeah. To keep her from sicknesses with her is not a, 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 a sentence construction we use. Wait, right. Yeah. And plus, and we know this from the title. Once you see what the title is, you know, right. this is what it's. Right. Bring back her appetite. Boom. Yeah. The rest. Right. Um, Okay. Let's vote. One, two, three, vote. And it's in. Okay. Congratulations, Michael. Congratulations, Michael Levin. Um, okay, we've got one more by Michael Levin. And as Tim gave you the spoiler alert, um, this one is also written, uh, flush uh, left and right justified, um, and filled with verbals. And um, I'll read this one. It's called Words. As the man falls into sleep, he thinks of all the words. He was told to never use in his writing words too big or too abstract to mean anything specific to the reader, words with baggage, words that have become cliche. He remembers a professor arguing for the impossibility of soul to appear in a poem except for that Zagajewski, Zagajowski one and maybe a half a dozen others off the top of his head. The man believes he understands the reasoning, though he doesn't know how much he believes it. He thinks of how his days with her are broken into pain and sadness and anger, and yet love too, love most, love in spite and because of this sickness, how it drives everything he does for her and how it hurts him when his effort fails her how it's the last word on his mind before sleep comes and the first he must struggle to find when he wakes again and again for her all through the night.
Well. Well, I think this one, with the other one, the thing that worked for me in the other poem was the images that allowed me to come to the feeling on my own terms, starting with the title. Uh -huh. Here it starts again with words, and then it seems to be uh, words that tell us about pain and anger and sickness and death. And, but I don't have the images that make it rise up from within me. I don't have the same type of, you know, starting off with one starts with solomedrol, and then you find out what it's for, and you're like, okay, you sort of bear down and you're ready. This one, words, and you're in word land and mm -hmm. you're, you're, it's, you're, it's vague. Yeah. More than half of it are about the words until he gets into um, the detail of, of the wife's sickness, you know? And so, and you know, we all have our quirks. I don't like the first half because I hate poems that are about poems that are about writing or about words, you know? And so if we didn't, if we hadn't already read that first one and we didn't get two thirds of this are about words. This one is like an essay, a meta commentary on writing into and in her sickness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have the um, impact of the last one, and I think that's because of this division—the division of the two um, discussions, as it were, if we call it an essay, like Marion is, you know—to move from words, and he, there's just not enough space to do it well. <laughs> Maybe it should be a whole essay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the idea of the impossibility of the soul, but I would rather read about that. Yeah. And I feel like, but um, I mean, I didn't know who Zagajewski was, so I uh, looked him up. But I don't know, it sounds, writing a poem about poems and then inserting a poet makes me feel like it's almost written for an MFA workshop or something. Mm. Um, audience, Jason had to leave. Uh, we should have said that at the beginning. I don't think we said that part on air. Um, so he's no longer in the discussion for this poem. So we still have Joe transcribing for Marion and Tim and I and Cherie in the room. And Cherie hasn't said anything yet on this one. Yeah. You did? Oh, this, one? this one, yeah. No, I don't, it just doesn't. It doesn't, um, it doesn't do a lot for me. Um, it kind of, the fact that it is on two different topics kind of, uh, kind of irritates me, mm -hmm. um, because I think that it's not necessary and I don't really see how, I don't see how they relate. I mean, he mentions, um, uh, how the last word on his mind is, um, I'm not sure if sickness is the last word on his mind or if love is the last word on his mind. Mm -hmm. But that's the only time we really get anything about words in the second part of the poem. Um, but I don't really, I don't see the connection between these two discussions that he's having in this, in this one piece. And I think that it doesn't, it doesn't really work well. I, I sort of feel like, I agree. And I sort of feel like 
humans are incapable of sympathizing with pain, sadness, and anger conceptually. But they can once they find out tiny little details, and then it doesn't take much. When someone's, I mean, it's a cliche to think when you see a dog, a dead dog, you're sad because you think you're of your own, um, your own pet you may have had. But we just like the medicine again. The solometrol was a great detail because you know now it talks about okay, failing adrenal glands. When you think of what that. And that you have to imagine what life must be like without adrenal glands. Mm -hmm. So suddenly you're in there, but you're in there on your own terms. And everybody's experience is unique Mm -hmm. to that one detail. But anger, I mean, anger, pain, and sadness, I mean, not an hour goes by that I don't feel anger, pain, (laughs) something, especially in 2017. Right. I mean, there are a million things. And I, I try to get through each day without trying not to feel them all at once, but it's always a constant and they mean different things to everybody. Yeah. And so it's vague, you know, you can go on in these vagaries for on and on and on. Tim's making me agree with him. The Tim fits school of images. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think we might be able to wrap up and vote. Let's vote. Let's vote. One, two, three. Okay, so this did not make it in. So Michael Levin is, uh, uh, what is that, one and two? One for one. One for one. I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could get that straight. Um, but today's episode was good because we got two for two and three, right? Two out of three? Two out of three. Two out of three. I know how to say that. Um, So thank you, poets. Thank you, listeners. Um, Follow us on all social media platforms. Uh, Share this podcast and your thoughts about it with everyone. Um, Hashtag tripod when sharing with friends and and neighbors. And um, thank you. Keep reading. Just so I can record this, I probably won't keep it, but Marianne uh, wants to leave it with, uh, I love you fuckers, get a ghost, love from Abu Dhabi. Uh, I just want to get that in.